What is up and welcome back. My name is Brett Martineau and this is Think Like Me or Don't. Back from vacation. Super excited about things. It's funny. We're on vacation to Seattle and Portland and came home and tonight I'm flying to Costa Rica for work. Ironic. Not that not that Seattle and Portland are not excellent tourist destinations, but you would think you would think it would be the other way around. You'd think that I'd be going to Costa Rica for a little bit of vacay, but not so, which is all good. Um, in this episode of Think Like Me or Don't, I want to continue what we talked about the last couple of weeks, and really, this is going to be a little bit shorter of an episode, mostly because I just want to I want to set up some things, because in the in the next episode next week we're going to start into a something that's it's kind of a departure from the main idea but i think it's super important because it's this it's sort of like a side point and something that you have to you have to deal with at, at to some extent is this this thing that we're going to be dealing with so um so probably not going to be talking for as long today which is super exciting for everyone i know i know i know but i think this is really important it actually it actually was some of what we're going to get into this week sets us up for what I'm going to start talking about next week because it sort of was catalyzed by some conversations I had with some friends uh, and just something that I've been thinking about a lot. So let's dive in. Uh, one of the biggest things we we ended last week with this idea that because we can't identify who the arbiter would be um, if if there's this this like severity coefficient, meaning if if the if the consequence of your actions is dependent on the severity of the action, the severity of the circumstance, there needs to be some sort of independent third-party arbiter that's going to decide, well, in this case, you get X punishment or X consequence, uh, even though you did, the, you did the same things as this other person because the situation was different for you or you it was worse for you because you did, you know, you had a different intent or whatever, right? So we have to trust somebody. And uh, I ended the episode sort of saying, I don't really trust that I that anybody else could do that. And so I think it's easier for me just to say there are no moral obligations. There are no, there isn't one. There's no severity coefficient because there's no, um, it's not to say that there is no morality. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, I don't know what it is. And because of that, I can't hold anyone except myself accountable for what I think morality is. So more, I think maybe the big thing is like if you think about romantic as uppercase and lowercase romantic, that's actually not the right metaphor to use. But anyway, you think of think of morality, think of moral as uppercase and lowercase moral, and morality as it relates to you is what you think is right and wrong, but it only relates to you. So so you can't apply that to anybody else. And the same thing with anybody else. They may think that a certain action is moral or, or, or not moral, but it's not up to them to tell, to tell you. I'm going to adjust the microphone just a second. It's the problem. I'm a, kind of a crazy person, and I'm looking at the waveform as it's being recorded, and I had the microphone sort of off to my right side, and I noticed that my <laughs> the waveform was lopsided, and it bothered me. So I was like, I got I to gotta fix that. Anyway, so that becomes sort of an issue that we have to deal with when we start talking about universal morality and like laws of some third party. I mean, let's just use the term that is used most often. When you think about trying to apply the laws of God, the idea of God is that God sits above 
all of the people, and whatever he or she or it says is true to the extent that morality exists, right? So that means that regardless of whether you're Brett Martineau living in Lehigh, Utah, or, you know, some other person living in Canada, or somebody living in Bangladesh, or in Indonesia, or Australia, it's the same, right? But but then that gets us into that same loop we talked about last week, which is um, uh, you got to we have to be able to trust that the that 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 person or that thing or that that entity is going to be right, right? Which is which is a problem because we can't necessarily trust that. And and I think more importantly than whether we can, because it's also it's po- just as possible it is that there isn't someone out there that can arbitrate correctly. It's also possible that there is someone out there or something out there that can. And that's fine. It's just the, we can't create, we can't look at enough pieces of evidence to be able to trust it, right? There's not enough time for us to, to be able to identify all that. Which is why I take the approach that what I think is right is right for me, but not for anybody else. So anybody else can do whatever they want to do, because what I think is right is only right to the extent, like to, to the extent that it's, that's connected to me. So um, that's the first thing, sort of to pick up from where we left off. But now that whole idea introduces a lot of what I'm going to call sort of like anecdotal history, uh, which essentially just means, yeah, but clearly it's not that simple, right? Clearly it's not just like, well, there's nothing, there's no morality. Um, There's there's other things to do. Like one of the things that came up is like, well, what about like social issues? You know, civil rights, global hunger, war, corruption, you know, things like that. Isn't isn't there like a moral imperative somewhere to get involved and like deal with those kinds of things? Um, and that's where it starts to get a little bit dicey, right? Not really dicey in the sense that you have to make exceptions, but really just just because there's not a moral obligation, meaning a universal obligation, doesn't mean that there's no reason to like do things about those, do something about those things. Right. Because again, if you go back to what I said in the first episode about universality, like universe, universal uh, applicable ability, I think that's the one I, when I use that, that term for, I don't remember, where essentially you have to be able to apply the same rule to everyone everywhere. Meaning, if you're trying to fight against corruption in, you know, downtown Salt Lake City, and you say we have a moral obligation to fight against corruption in downtown Salt Lake City. That means that the indigenous peoples of Papua New Guinea are also morally obligated to fight against the corruption in Salt Lake City, Utah. Which I think the 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 logic of that and the intuitiveness of that starts to break down when you try to apply it to other people. But just because the people in Papua New Guinea are not morally obligated to do something about the corruption in Salt Lake, and I'm using ridiculous examples, obviously. But just because they are doesn't mean that there's no reason to fight against it. It just means it's your reason. And the problem, the thing I think that, that bothers people is that you you take that metaphor and you think, okay, yeah, obviously not Papua New Guinea. But like my neighbor also has a moral obligation. And the problem is you can't uh, logically, you I mean, you can, This is, it's your prerogative to do this, but logically it does not follow that because your neighbor is next to you as opposed to 17,000 miles away, they are more under the same moral obligation that you are. Because the truth is, it's, it's just they either are, either everybody is or nobody is. 
That's what moral with a capital M, that's what that means. Because otherwise, getting back to what I started today on, what I ended last week on, otherwise you are making yourself the arbiter and making the decision, oh, well, I, I say that it's my neighbors. Okay, well, I say, well, what about me? I'm in Lehigh. Am I also obligated morally to do something about corruption in Salt Lake City? You might say, well, yeah, it's the capital of your state. Okay, cool. What about somebody in Arizona? And you might say, well, yeah, you know, people in Arizona would be would be obligated to help out because, you know, they're part of this country and, and you know, we have a, that's the part of the values that the country was based on. I say, okay, what about somebody across the border in Mexico? What about somebody who, who lives in San Diego and crosses the border into, they're, they're Mexican, they're from Mexico, they live in San Diego illegally, and they hop back and forth. Are they obligated? Right? So it starts to break down at that point. When you try and apply these moral absolutes and these moral um, uh, uh, obligations to anybody outside of yourself, you can do it to you. You can do it to you. But you can't, you can't logically do it to anybody else. You can't apply that same, that same logic to somebody else because it doesn't work. At some point, it breaks down, and that's the problem. Uh, and I wrote this thing down that I wanted to say, which I, it's a kind of a, a backtrack a little bit, but it, I think it, it underscores the same point, which is even if you believe that this arbiter, or just you believe in anything, but if you believe that the arbiter is God, which that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, that doesn't mean that the arbiter is God or that there is a God. Okay, You can believe it all you want, and, and me maybe not believing it has also has no effect on whether there is a God. Right, so I'm not, I'm not saying that there isn't one, and you can't prove it. So therefore, meh, you know, poo on you, kind of thing. No, what I'm saying is, is they're totally fine to believe in it. No problem there. But just because you believe in it doesn't make it so, and therefore you can't apply that belief, and therefore that moral compass or that more the sense of moral duty or moral obligation to anybody else. Right. So you can choose for you, but you can't choose for anybody else. All right. Now, again, to talk about like social issues and like different things that you might, we might consider, well, oh, there's a moral obligation to get involved, right? And it, like corruption in Salt Lake City is kind of a, it's kind of a tough one. I think it's a real one because there's been corruption in cities like Chicago and in, in New York City and all these places in the United States for many, many years. And I'm sure there's been corruption to some extent in every city everywhere. And so you might say, well, there, you know, there is there is a moral obligation to get involved in that. Um, but I think there are other ones that are more. Uh, it seems less intuitive. My argument when we get into the things like civil rights, right? A Black Lives Matter is one that comes up, right? It's kind of an extension of civil rights, but the idea we have Black Lives Matter. Uh, one of the one of the things that came up a lot was if you're not fighting for us, then you're fighting against us. Silence is opposition, right? And and there's something about that. And maybe part of this is just, again, triggered by my, I hate being told what to do. But I think there is something very morally dangerous. And I won't even use the term morally, but there's just something very dangerous, philosophically dangerous, about making those kinds of grand sweeping arguments about people that you've never met, Right. It's kind of like that argument. I think I've mentioned this in one of the previous episodes. It's kind of like, like that argument. If you loved me, you would X, Y, Z, right? You can't really do that. It doesn't really work because it's not necessarily true that somebody else is morally obligated to do the thing that you feel morally obligated to do, 
Okay. And it's not, again, it's not to say just because there's no uppercase moral obligation to be involved in civil rights and to be involved in world hunger. That doesn't mean that you don't have a reason to do that. It just means you are not morally obligated to do that. And actually, this is a sort of a side note that just popped into my head. I actually think that if you do get involved, that is more of a bonus, right? It makes it it makes it more uh, philanthropic or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, where you care about other people more than yourself. It'll come to me at some point because you're not morally obligated to do so. So you're just making a choice. You could choose to go have cereal, or you could choose to get involved in world hunger, and you choose to get involved in world hunger. So it's totally up to you. You're not responding to any any uh, maxim or uh, obligation, right? Which I think is good. But but as we start to talk about this, the thing that popped into my head is I started to get into like, oh well, you can choose for you what your moral what your morality is and what is more what your moral obligations are, but you can't choose for anybody else. So that gets into you take that to the extreme and you start thinking, well, okay, so. Does that mean never try and convince anybody of anything? Are we all just like operating in our boxes? To go back to the box analogy, we just operate in our boxes and we don't try and talk to each other and try and convince people that they're wrong, even if we think they're wrong. What if our moral obligation is to convince people that we think they're wrong? Well, first of all, with that particular situation, I would say pick another one <laughs> because you, you're gonna you're you're just always going to be disappointed, right? If you get too attached to convincing somebody else of something or or convinced to the outcome of somebody else's actions you're just going to be disappointed because they don't nobody else has the has the obligation to do what you have have you you've set your own obligation to do right but there's actually nothing wrong with trying to convince people of things i don't think i don't think it actually goes in the flies in the face of the of the idea at all because if, if that's the thing that you've decided to use your energy for, if you think you have a moral obligation to educate people and to help them understand what's actually going on, well, then yeah, you go and you do it and you do and you and you provide that education. But and I wrote this down, just know that all you are capable of doing is presenting evidence. The other person has to decide for themselves. Meaning if you like I said before, if you get too attached to the outcome, to the idea that you're going to convince somebody to change the way they think, and that becomes like what you're going after. That becomes your, sorry, there's a piece of hair on the microphone. That becomes like what you're what you're shooting for. You're just going to end up disappointed, always. You're always going to end up disappointed because people can make that choice for themselves. And if they choose something else, then it's like, oh, well, they didn't do what I wanted them to do. <laughs> and then it's over. That's it, right? There's nothing else to really talk about. But if you just focus on doing you, and doing what you think is right, then you'll never be disappointed, right? So, so think about that juxtaposition. If you focus on the outcome and what somebody else is going to do and what how they're going to react to whatever you say, you're always going to be disappointed because they're never going to they're never going to 100 do the things that you want them to do. But on the flip side, if you choose to just do you, focus on what you think is right, what you think is moral, what your moral obligations are, and let other people do their thing, you'll always be satisfied. Because you can control you, and you can control what you're going to do, but not anybody else, right? Nobody else is morally obligated to listen to you. First of all, to listen to you. They're also definitely not morally obligated to agree with you. I think that's sort of the crux of this, 
is yeah, spend your time and energy doing whatever you want to do because that's your thing. But the second you start to get attached to the outcome and start thinking that other people are have the same obligations that you do and that other people are driven by the same things, same things that you are, that's where you're going to get into trouble, right? Like imagine, we'll go back to the box analogy. Imagine you walk over to somebody else's box and you're trying to... Um, you see that you can see into their box and you see the way that they handle squares, right? We're going back to our super simplistic generic metaphor here, right? So they're, they get squares, right? And that they deal with them a certain way. Or maybe let's even say they're not even dealing with squares. And you have a way of dealing with squares that you really like and you think is right. You think the way you deal with squares is the right way. And you notice that they're not dealing with squares at all. So you walk over to their box and you don't go into their box because that's not the way it works. But you're trying to like lob squares into their box so that they'll do, they'll handle those squares the same way that you are. But like, what if they've already decided in their life uh, that for their box, they don't want to deal with squares? Think about what that does. Put yourself back in that metaphor, the metaphor of being inside the box. And remember what we talked about two weeks ago where you're in complete control over things and you don't have to let anything in if you don't want to, right? So think about from the other person's perspective, you're coming over trying to get them to deal with squares the way that you deal with squares and they've already decided they don't want to deal with squares at all. Think about think about that situation and how fruitless your efforts are. Now, that's not to say that there's not room for you to convince them that dealing with squares is good for them and that dealing with squares the way that you deal with squares is good for them. And it might actually be good for them. But you have to understand and you have to operate from the understanding that somebody else, may, that other person may have already made a decision in the exact opposite direction of the decision you're trying to make them to make, trying to get them to make, right? So that's important, just understanding that. Because then you have to come at it from a different way. Instead of instead of oh, I am this person is more morally obligated to do what I say, they're they're actually not morally obligated to listen at all or to do anything. Right? What if they what if they do start letting squares in, but then they start dealing with them differently? What's to say that the way that they naturally intuitively deal with squares is any better or worse than the way that you naturally and intuitively started dealing with squares? Right? Who who says that? Where is it written? It's not, right? You might believe that it's written, right? You might come at it from a, from a, a, a religious or a philosophical standpoint where it, it seems absolutely clear to you that the right way to handle squares is X way, right? But that might be the same thing that they think about the way they deal with squares, right? You As, as convinced as you are of your rightness, Someone else may be convinced to the same extent of their rightness, and you guys could be totally in opposition with each other, right? Uh, but what? What? Let's let's talk about a different thing, and we're going to come back to this idea. Keep that in mind. What if two people are equally convinced that they are right, but they are not the same, right? Think about that, because we're going to come back to that in a second. But what, what, so what if, let's take this metaphor one step further and change the variable a little bit. What if the person you're talking to is actually interested in the way that you handle squares um, and they listen to you 
right? They use their choices to listen to you. They use their, they have no obligation to do this, but they listen to what you say and how you deal with squares, but then they end up not doing it. They end up sticking with their own methods. Think about what that, what happens then, right? They use their, their agency, if that's the word you want to, their, their freedom of choice. They used their, they had no moral obligation to do so, but they listened to you and they let you tell them, oh, this is how you deal with squares. Cool. That's really cool. I'm going to do it this, the way that I was doing it before though. And remember, you are fully convinced that the way you deal with squares is the morally correct way. Think about what happens there, right? They don't have to, they don't have to use your methods because there's nothing that says with a capital M that yours is the morally correct way to do it. And the sooner you understand that, the sooner in that situation, most of us, and I am this way too, this is where I'm coming from, how I can speak to this, because I, <laughs> it's so hard for me to not, to actually let other people think differently than me, right? Um, but in this situation, what most of us would do is dig in, right? We're like a dog with a bone. Somebody let us start talking, and we automatically assumed, because they let us start talking, that we were going to convince them. We were already attached to the outcome. Why? Because they still have the choice, right? There's, there's nothing that says that they have to do the thing that you are telling them to do, even though they start listening. Whereas if you're not attached to that, if you approach it as, oh, let me just t- let me show you how I do it. Is that cool with you? Because I think, I think my way is cool. I think your way is cool. But here's my way, and let's see. Excuse me, man. I should like... I don't know, maybe not do this first thing in the morning. Anyway, um, if you approach it less from uh, I'm right and you're wrong and I need to convince you and more from uh, here's the way I do it and you can either do it your way or whatever, I'm going to keep doing it my way because you doing it different than me doesn't change how I feel about the way I do it. And the same thing is true for them. You, as in the person, you doing it a certain way doesn't change how they feel about the way they want to do it or if they want to do it. So if we, if we let go of that outcome, let go of the need of everyone else to be like us and allow people to be different, to do things a different way, radically different, and in fact, allow people to do things in ways that we naturally consider to be wrong, it's so weird because we think, oh, if I let somebody do something that I think is wrong, I'm, I'm going to feel bad about that. I'm going to feel like I failed them. It's actually the opposite. When you let people do things the way they want to do them, even if it's the way, even if it's what you think is wrong, you actually have more freedom. You know why you have more freedom? Go, let's go back to the very, very beginning part of that metaphor. It's because you now have the ability to change the opening in the top of the box and not deal with that, not deal with the fact that other people are different than you, right? That's the super mind-bending, mind-blowing part about this, I think anyway, is that as soon as you let go of needing other people to be like you and needing other people to think like you and do things the way you do and do things the way that you think is right and not do things the way you think is wrong, you suddenly develop the ability to close off the box so that you don't have to deal with that emotion anymore. Just the idea that other people are different. It doesn't be, it's not an issue anymore. It's a non-issue from that point forward because you don't have to even deal with it. You don't even let it into your box. So moving forward, you're just doing your own thing and other people are doing their own thing and everything's fine. Everybody's honky-dory and there's no issues, right? But, but, all this comes with the big asterisk because sometimes, and this, then when I say this is going to be a short episode, I'm, we're wrapping up right now. 
um, all of the above, what I said is true as far that's how I see it. That's, that's what I've come to understand for myself. Um, uh, by the way, the title of this podcast vastly predates the, this metaphor, the box, but it's been my philosophy since I was like 20. Think like me or don't, right? It's essentially just, hey, I'm, I'm just going to tell you how I think and you do with it what you want. You can either think that way or not or whatever you want to do, right? Now, that's all well and good, but there are real issues and there are real, there's real conflict in the world with real people, right? Because not everybody believes this. Not everybody believes that the way that you want to do things is up to you and the way that they want to do things is up to them. And they, not everybody's going to leave you alone, right? Not everybody's going to respect when you close off the top of your box. They're just going to come barging in. They're going to break down the walls of your box because they think that that's what they're supposed to do, right? And in those situations, it's necessary. Conflict becomes necessary, right? What, what, is it, what is it that happens? And by the way, I'm, I'm going to go kind of a little bit extreme to set this up, but understand that it's not all th the sparring idea that I'm going to bring up in the next episode is not only for like serious fights. Sometimes, sometimes all this stuff we talked about before where it's like, remember when I said before, what happens if somebody decides not to use your way of doing things, even though you've done all this stuff? There is this opening. There's this, uh, there's this, there's this place where even though you're okay, you can actually be okay with somebody else not doing it your way and keep pushing, right? That's what sparring is. It's okay to keep pushing, to keep nagging, to keep, oh yeah, but what about this? Oh yeah, but what about this? That's how we grow, right? Everybody should be so lucky to have somebody in their life that will pick apart the way they do things and that will point at things and say, well, what about this? What about this? But the important thing to understand, this is huge. Okay, guys, don't, don't get me, don't, don't get it twisted. The person doing the poking is not doing so out of a moral obligation. They're not doing so because they think that they are right and somebody else is wrong and they need to convince them of that. They are doing the poking in a, in an effort there's only one thing they have in mind, and that's that's mutual respect and mutual improvement. So if you feel legitimately like somebody else could do something better, could do something more efficiently, could do something uh, with less waste, which is the same, I guess, as more efficiently, and you and you feel that you have you personally have a moral obligation to push on that and to keep pushing on that, then you keep pushing on that. And that's okay. But the important thing is not that you are, you're morally, you feel like you're morally obligated and that somebody else is morally obligated to do what you say. Because as soon as, it's just so hard to explain, but as soon as you understand that it's the game, your moral, ob this, I think this might be an interesting way of looking at it, it might help. Your moral obligation is not the outcome, it's the doing of it. Right. So if you think about the if if the thing you're morally obligated to do is to hike a mountain, think about like li pay attention to the, the 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 semantics of that. If your moral obligation is to hike a mountain, then you hike the mountain. Hiking is the thing, not the summiting, not getting to the top. It's the hiking. It's the if your moral obligation is to walk to the store. The walking is the point, not the store, not getting to the store. It's the walking, right? 
And I think more often than not, we conflate the destination with the journey. And so in the same way, when it comes to this idea of conflict and of trying to convince other people of things, and really of just of moral obligations in general, I think we can get confused into thinking that the outcome, the eventual, the ultimate outcome, is the point. When it's actually not, I don't think it is. I think the point is the journey. I think the point is the the path that we use to get there. Okay, And that brings me to what I'm going to set up, which we're going to talk about in a lot more detail next week, which is this idea of sparring. Sparring, okay? Sparring, if you have done any combat sports before, you'll know what sparring is. Uh, but imagine, imagine like, you've probably all seen like a UFC fight. Sparring is what UFC fighters do in the gym with other uh, fighters and other trainers, like people that are training to be better at their whatever. It's like practice fighting, right? And it is designed for you to be able to test your skills in a quasi real environment because the only rules it's not like drilling where you and your partner know exactly what the other person's going to do right because it's a drill it's more free form so it gives you a chance to practice your reaction time it gives you a chance to practice your control to practice reading somebody else and most importantly it gives you the chance to practice being in conflict because there is nothing nothing like sparring can prepare you for the adrenaline rush of being in a fight. When that bell rings, your heart is beating so fast and your blood is rushing so you can't hear anything because your your ears, your eardrums are, you know, you got so much blood rushing through there. And if you haven't practiced beforehand, then all of your training, everything you've tried to do before goes out the window. And all you go back to basic instinct. So if you haven't trained yourself, trained yourself into what your basic instinct is going to be, then you're screwed. And I think the same thing is true in life and in this whole idea of like moral obligations and in interpersonal relations and in conflict. I think that sparring is something um, that is not considered enough. And it's something that is that that could make all the difference in the way that you deal with. And, and interact with your coworkers, with your friends, with your family. Um, but it's not something that we do because we're, we tend to be somewhat conflict averse as a rule, as a society. But what I want to talk about is how conflict is the name of the game and how if you do it right and you do it correctly and you, and you understand the difference between sparring and fighting and you understand how to test people and you understand how to like push and poke, and at its core fundamental level, you understand that, again, the difference between sparring and fighting in the outcomes that are desired, I think what you'll find, like I have found, well, all I'm going to do is tell you what I have found. And my assumption is that if you do some of the same things, that you'll have similar experiences. My hope is that anyway. And um, and so I think it's going to be very interesting for you because I think I think all relationships all relationships, I think, are based on mutual understanding and respect. And the only way you gain that mutual understanding and respect is through sparring. And so if you don't spar, the likelihood is that if you were to get in a fight with somebody that you've never sparred with, you both would probably end up getting hurt. And I'm not talking about physically. I am talking about physically. But the meta, it maps perfectly. So I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that starting next week. It's probably going to be 
six or seven or eight weeks worth of just talking about that because there's so much to go into. And I actually want to see if I can bring in some of my fighter friends to talk about the 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 physical version of this metaphor because I it maps so perfectly. But if you've never done it before, I think it's hard to have that context to get the the context of it. So I'm going to bring some people in so we can talk about it and hopefully try and paint a picture of what sparring is like in a gym for fighters, because I think that will help you to understand. It's going to take a while for it to really sink in. So you got to like strap in and, and understand you got to be around this for a little while. Um, but I think it's super, super important to understand how to spar emotionally, you know, verbally, uh, mentally, spiritually, physically too. I think it's very healthy to learn how to spar physically, but I, th- I think, and, and if nothing else, I think learning to spar physically is the fastest way for you to understand how to spar emotionally. Um, so I think that's super important. Anyway, that's all I got for today, guys. 32 minutes, 33 minutes, right? We're, 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 we're going on, uh, on a much shorter episode today, but that's mostly just, I was on vacation all week. And there were some things coming out of last week's episode that I wanted to clarify and talk about, but really I wanted to set us up because this is like the next piece. Now, I will say this, as we get into the sparring tangent, it is a tangent, but it is, I think it's directly related because it's, it's the other half, right? So the philosophy of the box is you have your box, you decide what you want to deal with, you deal with those things, you get rid of everything else and you just do your thing and you ignore everything else. But that only works until conflict is necessary or conflict is upon you. And then it becomes necessary to deal with, to to step into sparring mode. So um, as we get into this, you're going to understand that there's like, there's, there's the sparring, the response to aggression. That's part of what you do when you spar is you learn how to respond to aggression. And then there's, and then part of it is shaping your relationships, shaping your relationships to be what you want and not so much changing other people, but just shaping the relationship which is separate from you and the other person, the relationship, the understanding between you and the other person to where there's mutual understanding and respect. So anyway, um, we're going to talk about that next week. I'm excited to get into that. This has been something that's been brewing and um, I'm hoping I can turn this into something that actually makes sense because I tr- I personally truly believe that if more people knew how to spar, we would have less pain in the world. It's so It's so ironic. Right when I started fighting, and realized that the most peace I ever felt was in the middle of a, of like a very intense sparring session, or in the middle of a fight, something clicked for me, and I realized, oh man, if more people understood that like, conflict is not the opposite of peace; it's the way to peace. Right, and that could be blown out of proportion, but it'll make more sense as we go. So, that's all I got. That's all I got. Go ahead. Uh, this is this is being. Uh, distributed uh, on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash think like me, you can leave a voice comment or a donation. Ha, that's funny, isn't it? Um, it's also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, all the all the places. So go ahead and uh, uh, give me a like or a subscribe or a comment or a rating or whatever those things are. I mean, or don't. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's up to you. If you feel so compelled, then don't, um, don't, I would recommend that you not um, shove down that compulsion. <laughs> it serves me, so that works out. Um, check me out on YouTube. Brettward James is my handle on all the things. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
uh, YouTube. I don't actually do much on Instagram or Facebook. I started posting a little bit on Twitter, but I don't really care that much. So this is essentially my main outlet. If you go to brettwoodjames.co, I've started blogging again. So you can check that out. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. By the way, or don't. Right? That's the whole point. Like, subscribe, or don't. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Anyway, we'll see you all next week. Peace.